0: This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. Before we get into this episode, I want to take a moment to acknowledge something. As you may have noticed when you fired up your podcast app today, the show has new artwork. The artwork was done by the artist Jenna Lukey, and I absolutely love it. I gave her a very simple prompt to show something that depicted something dying away so that new life could grow, and what you see now is the result. This image, of all manner of flowers and plants growing from a Bible, expresses the various ways that those of us who've left white evangelicalism have found our own distinct ways to flourish. We may all have been rooted in similar experiences, but find our own expression of new growth. That diversity is beautiful, and Jenna has captured it beautifully. It reflects my highest aspiration for the show and communities like Evangelical that we can help one another to grow beyond our shared past and celebrate and affirm one another's paths forward. Thank you so much, Jenna, for bringing that vision to life with such vibrancy. I've included her Instagram handle in the show notes, so please give her a follow. You won't regret it. This week's guests are the Dirty Rotten Church Kids. If you follow the exvangelical hashtag and associated hashtags on Instagram, you know who these guys are. Their handle has taken exvangelical Instagram by storm over the past year, and their podcast has created its own community that, in their words, is equal parts heavy and light. The Dirty Rotten Church Kids are Adrian Gibbs and Josh Link, and in this conversation, we discuss their backgrounds as church kids, church planters, their deconstruction, and parenting beyond deconstruction, as well as much more. It's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. The links to their show and merch are found in the show notes. If you enjoy this show, you can support it in several ways. First, you can just tell other people about it. Do you know someone who's harboring doubts about white evangelicalism? Send them this show. Second, you can support the show by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show, and I haven't gotten a new review since August. So come through and leave a review. Finally, you can support the show via a subscription to my newsletter, The Post-Evangelical Post, which you can find at postevangelicalpost.substack.com. Dot com there are free and paid tiers to that newsletter so please feel free to subscribe at whatever means you're able to all right let's get into it Welcome back to Exvangelical. My guests today are the Dirty Rotten Church Kids, Josh Link and Adrian Gibbs. Josh and Adrian, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Blake. Thank you
2: for having us, Thanks Blake. so
1: much for having us. Can I just say something real quick, just right at the top? Sure. We've only been doing this for about a year, okay? And when we started the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast, I remember pitching it to, to a friend of ours. And I was like, you know, just like talking about like deconstruction and faith stuff. And he's like, oh, so Exvangelical. I'm like well, yeah you're just trying to be evangelical so I just want you to know like that we have lived in your shadow for many a day. going on a year going on a year it's not uh, very full circle to be here oh well i'm
0: happy to have you on and i love that these sorts of conversations are becoming more prevalent and that more and more people are doing different shows and different approaches to it and that's what i'm why i'm happy to have both of you on and talk about your own sort of respective journeys so uh adrian let's start with you um and where I like to start on the show is really just at the beginning and just talk about your first sort of experiences where about where you grew up and what your first experiences within religion were. Were you always in church? Were you a church kid or or what did you have a different type of path?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I was born and raised in church, so I am church kid through and through um, mm-hmm. my great grandpa was a pastor and my grandpa was a pastor and my dad was a preacher. Um, and so I essentially was born and raised in church. Most of my life. Um, my mother came from a kind of a Catholic tradition and then became sort of non-denominational charismatic. And then on my dad's side, it was very much Pentecostal all the way down. Uh, and so it, we, we kind of experienced the sort of charismatic thing, the non-denominational thing in college. Um, after doing like the megachurch experience, I did sort of a Southern Baptist thing and then eventually a reformed um, theology thing. And so gotcha. I feel like uh, as far as within the subculture of evangelicalism mm-hmm. specifically, I feel like I've kind of been around the block just a couple times that I've seen kind of different sides of the, of the elephant. Um, yeah, and so I've experienced kind of the sort of super big megachurch model and then the kind of pop-up, church planter thing, right? Anything that has to do with church and church staffing and working at a church. I feel like I've, if there's a Jesus fish on it somewhere, I feel like I've probably experienced it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough.
0: Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about like how the Pentecostal experiences and the charismatic experience is a little, it's a different experience than mine. I grew up like United Methodist, small town United Methodist, sort of default evangelical. However, that is just sort of more buttoned down. The Pentecostal experiences remains something that I'd only ever sort of witnessed and not experienced. What was that sort of church life
1: like as a kid and, and just growing up in, in that environment? I would say for me, my experience of the sort of Pentecostal tradition was marked by emotionality It's very much like tears are part of it. Like that's, that's part, that's the package deal is you come in and you cry and you, and and there's also a lot of really loud joy and you're dancing and you're shouting. But my earliest memories were spending summers with my grandpa and grandma at their Pentecostal church. We'd be there on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, prayer meeting, you know, the potluck after church on Sundays, just this sort of, you are completely in. And then, these, I, I think that the Pentecostal understanding is kind of marked by, like, you stay within these kind of walls, and we will just take care of each other. And let's, you know, brother Adrian and sister Glenna, and you you will take care of each other. And you don't have to worry about ever leaving, you know, and so I grew up, um, and I was actually thinking about this the other day, as we we're getting ready to go into the Christmas season, my grandparents didn't have a Christmas tree. I remember being like, almost weirded out, because it was like, I didn't know that a Christmas tree was apparently it's idolatrous. It's yeah. That's the devil's tree. And so uh, the devil's tree also sounds like weed.
2: <laughs> or a really <laughs> shitty like horror movie. <laughs> the devil's, the devil's <laughs> tree. The devil's tree. The thing uh, is, you can just walk around the tree and it won't affect you. It's like it's a really bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from the
1: tree. Okay. End okay. of the movie. <laughs> yeah, a really poorly written and
0: poorly devised horror movie. <laughs> oh, Sorry. That's great. <laughs> or we could maybe do a revised version of the fall. In in Genesis 3.
2: (laughs) Right, there you go. That's the devil's tree. (laughs) That's that's the new, new version of the Bible.
1: Right, it's just the Christmas tree.
2: (laughs) Devil's tree, stay away from it, Eve. You got it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope that answered kind of some of the questions. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Josh, how about you? What was your sort of early experience life? Uh, Were you also a church kid from Jump?
2: Yeah, so I um, was like born in the pew, basically. I was always at church. My mom comes from a uh, Catholic background um, and my dad uh, has no church background whatsoever. They actually met at a church and that's the church that I attended for a long time when I was younger. Um, so yeah, it was very Southern Baptist. It was not reformed, but like getting there like in the eighties, early nineties. Um, and then we moved and ended up at a just burgeoning, really like big church for our for our area, was pulling in thousands of people. Um, I learned how to play music there, um, learned how to play with other musicians, which was really helpful. Did the whole worship leader thing, ended up leaving that church, going to another church, because it, it, it preached directly from the Bible. And that's exactly what God wanted me to do, was hear directly from scripture through another white, <laughs> which was helpful. Again, um, that's where Adrian and I met at that church. And the mm-hmm. whole story of how we met was interesting as well. But uh, we ended up, uh, becoming friends and then we left that church and like Adrian said, planted our own church, um, in a very affluent city, went through all the struggles of like having this grand idea and wanting to reach so many people. And then when you put your best foot forward, like there's just hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And then eventually deconstructed like late 2016, early 2017, uh, left the church and then, um, kind of am here now, uh. Yeah, looking back now it's just so funny to see like all the different like you don't really think about it when you're in it. And I'm sure right. we're also experiencing even you too Blake even in 2020 it's even more pronounced but we're all experiencing a like a season of our life right now, mm, quote unquote season. But yeah, you don't really really re- like realize what it is until you're out of it. So yeah. I just want
1: to say going through a season is very triggering to say because I know every youth pastor in the world is like talking
2: about going through a season. I felt it, I almost didn't say it, but I wanted to reclaim <laughs> that power of that <laughs> word. Because I mean like, we can talk about seasons. Yeah, but There's seasons fall and winter and total summer landscaping. And, and, Yeah, landscaping yeah, landscape going through a season. <laughs> yeah. I well, I'm taking that word back. <laughs>
0: Yes, that's, that's right. Re- reclaim Seasons. Yeah. <laughs>
2: that's the most important thing right this now has been the title. The title
1: of X-Fan evangelical episode is Reclaiming Reclaim Seasons.
2: seasons. <laughs> no, that's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Before we get into your church planting, I, I do know that for both of you, music is, is part of your story. So your first exposure to playing music and learning how to play and all that, for both of you, was it, within church environments and did you have like uh, any sort of restrictions around your own music selection as a kid or anything that you even self-imposed later in life like you're only going to listen to CCM
2: yeah so i um always had like music around my house uh my my parents my mom and, and her family moved from cuba and one of the things they were able to bring over from cuba was an old piano and so that piano was it's actually still in my house now but it was always around me when i was younger and had piano lessons for a long time, but I really didn't play music until I got in the church. Um, And yeah, there was restrictions like my, I remember one time my sister bought an incubus, (laughs) a CD (laughs) and it said, it said fuck on it. And I never forget, like we're driving with my mom and my mom presses uh, eject on the CD player. This is like all one, one like
1: so like, it was playing while you were driving
2: yeah i'm in the back seat my sister's <laughs> in the bathroom My mom was driving it says fuck she presses eject she takes it out and just rolls the window down and flings it out <laughs> my sister's like in tears my sister saved her money to buy this album so yeah it was kind of that there and it's funny because i was thinking about this recently um that so much of my music selection was that we always got like those ccm posters if you like this then you'll like hawk nelson or whatever um But it's funny because I, for whatever reason, like there are some CCM artists that I still have like a fondness for, but like I was always kind of doing my own thing with music. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of, I never like, and and that's another part of our story, like us playing music that evolved. But the music I listened to and enjoyed as I grew grew up, got more and more eccentric and and outside of the norms of church. And so I'm listening back to these songs that I listened to when I was younger. I'm like, these songs were already like introducing deconstructive ideas into my head. Right. but yeah, that's just funny. What, what's your story about music?
1: Yeah, man. I think uh, I grew up listening to Carmen, dude.
2: Oh, heck yeah. Carmen. Oh,
1: yeah. Satan. Yeah. Bite the dust. Guns and i represent oh, man. a whole new breed of Christian. I'm going to sing the whole song. This has been... <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving.
0: <laughs> no, it's all right. My first concert was Carmen. I responded to an altar call at Carmen. Oh. You know, I... I didn't sort of discover Carmen until like the the righteous invasion of truth and Mission three sixteen era, riot, um, right. but, uh, but 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 I, I saw him on that riot tour, you know, and uh, and change your life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. His <laughs> shoulder pads and his suits, um, they're, they're life-changing.
1: <laughs> I forgot about the shoulder pads. Bring it back. Bring, Bring it, it back. back. like <laughs> that's name. Bring it back. Uh, he, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Blake just put on a huge jacket. It's like Blake I, was yeah, waiting for
2: this moment. That's he had right.
0: the jacket on top screen. Yeah, yep. Just teeing um, you up for that. So I could, I so he's
1: I could. actually been waiting for this, he, yeah, it. Wouldn't have been, if it wasn't us, it would have it's been somebody else. else. <laughs> the next person. Right um <laughs> well, uh, your music stuff we're getting off track too so, way too easily this is the story of our dynamic yeah. like you're going to realize so, it's uh, good
2: i like it i like music. it you started with carmen
1: yeah so i started playing music in church at a really young age um probably around like 12 or 13 is when i first started playing music as like a bass guitarist and um little guitar and stuff and so m- music has always been a really big part of my life and um when you play it at the time, I was actually a mega church that I was playing at. And so it was very much like there is certainly a a performative aspect of playing music. Um, There is certainly a social dynamic of like, this is like the cool circle. Like the band is like the one is like the kids with the jackets. And then there's like kind of everybody else. So very much for me, music was certainly a passion thing. Um, And also it was very clearly like, Here's how you can be a cool performer, but in a way that God is okay with. Mm, um, right. And so I experienced this sort of weird uh, two sided thing where it's like I'm doing something because it's fun and I enjoy it, but like I had better make sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons. And I think along with that came this very much um, um, a mega church thing of kind of behavior modification. I think a lot of like the big camps that I would play at and a lot of the outings and their treats are Mm -hmm. completely marked by like true love waits and marked by I kiss dating goodbye. And so for me, it's almost impossible for me to divorce my uh, um, relationship with worship music uh, apart from this sort of evangelical, like bounce your eyes, you know, you're a dirty Oh, yeah. So, so
2: I, I that's it. That my relationship
1: <laughs> that's <with> a throwback. <laughs> every man's battle,
0: every young man's battle better. Right, brave those. at heart or wild at heart. <laughs> wild wild heart. eyes, yeah, those like, eyes. the
1: weirdest thing. Did you ever get the uh, the first time you see somebody attractive, it's fine, but the second Sometimes time you look, that's when you're kidding? Yes, it's the second look, the second it's look, the, and saying that's the best. It's
2: the, <laughs> what
1: the hell, Jeez,
0: <laughs> yeah. Fun times. Oh, man. That's interesting, especially the the aspect of being in a mega church environment and, and being in the in the music scene and being in the worship team and stuff like that. I was on like my youth worship team and I played bass, you know, I never really did much with it besides play rude notes. And like I I learned a, a sweet lick to trading my sorrows from yes, <laughs> the other yes. bass player.
2: Oh, <laughs> hell
1: Yeah
0: i'm trading
2: my sorrows i'm trading my shame
1: God, that's a throwback dude <laughs> that is a throw is that israel i'm
2: laying down for the drawing i don't know
1: the songwriter actually yes. I had...
2: oh, yes, yes, lord. <laughs>
1: yeah you got it Great. the
0: the signs the signs did you guys do the... no. Um, there is was, that no a... there was a whole yes lord uh sign language thing that at the main service at my at my church that I went to during high school, they had the puffy mics and shit. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everyone had a
1: different color. <laughs> so, Do they have different color
0: puffy yeah, mics? Yes, so like yellow. Yeah, like this weird, like <laughs> mustard yellow, and then a blue and a green. You know, they all. Yeah. They all had them. If they if it wasn't the the actual puffy, the like pop filter part, uh, it was like you know a little piece of tape. So they had their assigned mics. Right. Yeah.
1: Yes. Right. I'm convinced that there was some sort of uh,
0: hierarchy. Oh for sure oh man but yeah it's interesting to to think about the the weird uh, dynamics of of worship team pettiness and <laughs> and things and as well as just the performative
1: aspect of it as you said and and how that that plays into things yeah, totally and I think that one of the things is when you are playing music at a church especially at a young age um, if you're casually attending a church I think there is certainly a kind of a a disconnect between what you see and what's actually going on. Um, but what you're, when you're on the band, um, you very quickly kind of see how the sausage is made. You understand the, kind of the politic and the kind of the, uh, looking back, certainly a kind of a manipulative, emotive, mm-hmm. like, vision that like was always kind of turned on. You're like, All right. I mean, and you, you even had experiences at your mega church where you would be like, you're gonna step forward.
2: Yeah. yeah. They have like X's on stage. Like our mega church was um so when I started when I get when I was on like the tail end of of, of working there and attending there, um, the lead pastor had become a really good friend to Joe Osteen. So it was kind of that feel with like a more Miami vibe, but they're not in Miami. Like we're in Fort lauderdale which is forty five minutes north of that. Mm-hmm. So very much like the Ed Hardy t-shirts, the uh, Preachers and Sneakers Instagram account. Like that was our head pastor.
1: Um, gotcha. driving a super <laughs> nice
2: car. And what's funny is that after I left there for a long time, my wife is like, hey, I never went there. Do you mind going there with me? Just because I, I didn't do because I, I tell her really lofty stories of him like riding an ATV through the auditorium. and like, that's cool and all. But now the auditorium smells like gasoline for the next hour. <laughs> and we're all the secondhand high. <laughs> um so she didn't believe any of the stories i was telling her because it's it's just really outrageous i'm like okay steph i'll go i'll endure it for our love (laughs) so we go and i'm so glad we went because it just it um it verified everything i'd said for this sermon he was talking about i don't know some bullshit and he's like for this illustration we need to we need to drink of god's truth like from a fire hose instead of a cup
1: of water i I was with you
2: yeah he brings out a fire hose. I'm like, okay, this is great. I hope this fire hose explodes. And like, we were close enough. It was like the splash zone at at SeaWorld. We were close enough that if anything was going to go down, we would would catch the the fire hose water. But he's like, we're going to, like Adrian said, we're going to drink from God's truth, like a fire hose instead of a cup. And he aims a fire hose and he shoots it at this plexiglass thing. And everyone's clapping. And I'm looking around like, and I look at my wife, I'm like, are you happy? We're here because of you. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> it was, so yeah, that was the, I say all that to say that's the mega church I came from. And they were very performative, uh, very much like, hey, this is the vibe we're going for at this time in the song, walk to this X, don't move from this area. And that trickled down to our college group and to our high school group. And, mm-hmm. at, and I realized I don't want to be a part of that. It was faking something and, and, and we were selling merch in the lobby like with the church logo on it and it was just such a weird vibe like i'm jumping ship i'm out here and then i went like the complete other way the pendulum swing to a very southern baptist very reformed church and that's where adrian and i met you want to get into that story
1: yeah do you want to hear that story blake
2: yeah talk about that where where you guys
0: met and and also what led to you doing uh, a church plant together and that that part of your story it was love at Love it. First hatred. So
1: we (laughs) were both worship leaders, right? We both had come from separate sort of megachurch miles and both converged on this very calm, kind of subdued, you know, a lot of khaki, a lot of side parts, a a lot of loafers, you know? So very much what you think of as like a white Southern Baptist church. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're a real reformed man. And so we met, we initially did not like each other at all because what do you take when you get two young cocky worship leaders and just put them on the same team is you just... We fight. fight. So we did (laughs) not like each other. Going for it exactly. (laughs) We did not like each other at all. Um, But what happened was that in our pendulum swing away from the megachurch model, we latched onto Calvinism. We latched onto like the Mark Driscoll, the David Platt. We latched onto the Francis Chan, and and this sort of like we know how God works. Like we've got, you know, given enough systems and enough systematic like logic you can pretty much have god figured out and so josh and i became bonded by essentially shitting on the megachurches we left because now we knew better right like now we know all we know the inside yeah limited atonement and we, like, we understand kind of the nuances and the mechanics of salvation and all that stuff and it didn't take much for um our new kind of like woke neo-calvinist cage stage to bump heads with a very kind of stifling like kind of bland, you know, uh, uh, Southern Baptist church. And so we ended up leaving our church um, because our lead pastor ended up leaving it. I mean, sorry, it was the youth pastor at the time. He was kind of, we were the the person we were working under. Um, Yeah. He left it as many do, right? Tale as old as time. Like the youth pastor leaves to go plant a church and become the lead pastor. And that's how we did it. And so we went into this church plant thing as sort of like, we are here to be the bastion of true doctrine in a city that is rife with kind of mega church. And, you know, either they're super boring or they're super hip and we're here to like bring the true, the true gospel.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it was just like looking back, like when, when Adrian and I were like in that worship band together, Like, way before that, like, I even texted him, like, hey, I don't like you. (laughs) We weren't talking, like, hey, I don't like you, and I just wanted you to know that. Uh, (laughs) It was great. And then, and Adrian's, like, the the people pleaser is, like, oh, what did I do? And, like, and and then it's, like, one of those moments of clarity I had. Like, I knew I didn't like Adrian because he came in and, like, usurped my role as the acoustic worship leader.
1: Or as Michael Scott say, you slurped slurped my role. (laughs) I slurped my role. (laughs) Um,
2: But, uh (laughs) Smudginess. Yes.
1: <laughs> and there's your smudgeness.
2: Um, but after that, it was kind of like, like exactly like you said, like we rallied around the fact that we were doing the work for the kingdom and being in the youth and college group, you already feel less than. And when the senior pastors are making you feel less than by giving you real, like just writing you off, like nothing unifies people stronger than a common enemy. So we had a common enemy. It's the senior pastor and we're going to do this. Um, and then, yeah, when, when we went to plant the church, it was more of that just, that grit that piss and vinegar like we're gonna do it we're gonna prove to ourselves we can do it and then to our credit and to the pastor we served underneath like we did a lot with no church sent sent us there was no funding it was all very much grassroots like all our own stuff um yeah which is cool but it like also requires you to continue to keep the hamster wheel rolling no matter what costs
1: and i think too we ended up i think what kind of add another layer to um, what would eventually become our deconstruction is like you come from the mega church, which is very much um, emotive performative. And then you go into the Southern Baptist thing, which is very much theological and doctrinal. And, and then we left that. And then what we found is another piece, which was like, you have to make the service happen. Mm-hmm. Like
2: yeah,
1: we ended up seeing kind of a, a bent towards get the job done. At the expense of whatever it takes. So whoever we need to kind of burn out, whatever, if anyone leaves, like that's really their problem. And and it was very much like, um, everyone's gonna work really hard, because what we're doing is really good. And so we saw kind of firsthand, how if you're not careful, this, I mean, I guess objectively good ideal of bringing Jesus to the masses can very quickly turn into just a mechanism, mm-hmm. just bodies coming in and bodies going out just for the purpose right. of just keeping the doors open and, and the wheels spinning.
0: Yeah, that definitely sounds <laughs> familiar. Was this like a, a smaller church? Was it a rented space with folding chairs? Oh, and- uh, yeah. yeah.
2: Pop up, baby. There have been talks of us merging with another place and actually taking over their building because they're is dying. And so there was always this like candy, or candy, this carrot on a stick held out in front of us. Like, oh, we could eventually do that. We can actually establish ourselves in, in a permanent space. And what's also interesting is we didn't do it like alone, sort of. There were two other churches that church planted within a year or two when we did, and all our lead pastors knew each other. So we, okay. we had other people to bounce ideas off of, and they actually went with funding, and they were way smarter with how they operated. And they're still operating today, and are, like our church is not. Uh, but one of them actually has like a, a bit like a bigger building they have like they're pretty mega in our in our scene now in our little church scene so it was a lot of things always I, me personally always feeling like we were like the redheaded stepchild nothing against red-headed stepkids but like we just felt like the odd man out it's right because we can never get things going and at certain points it just caused me to like dig my heels in deeper and like well we just got to try harder because that's what my faith is just me trying mm-hmm. um yeah it, it was was really interesting and then to jump to the deconstruction part you asked about like not till like around 2016 did adrian like start talking to this stuff like these thoughts he had and i'll let him explain those but my my attitude towards a lot of things is very very much so before deconstruction was just like adrian said get the job done so i was a perfect candidate for a church plant because i will just not stop working um yeah and and the thing that kind of snapped me out of it was adrian saying these things I'm like oh that's cool man but we still got to set up at six o'clock in the morning we still got to get the, the okay, show we're here the till three or whatever yeah right and then my wife is like but when's the last time we went to church as a family of four like we have two kids now we haven't gone to church like you're always here before us and you leave after us and we don't do anything together on sunday morning yeah and so adrian telling me my wife telling me like oh, i gotta pump the brakes um and yeah, and, and that's kind of when, like like I said, mine was like at the tail end of 2016. But you want to give your explanation?
1: Yeah. About- Do you want to hear
2: that story, Blake? <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's hear it.
0: I, I think that this is a common experience. I mean, before you get into it, Adrian, like the reason why I said this sounds familiar is like I was on a similar track for a while in Chicago. I, I, we ended up at like a small small church plant, like storefront church in Chicago. At most, there might be like 75 people there. Uh, but it was all volunteer run, practically, except for like a one pastor and associate pastor, um, all, all that sort of stuff. The The main reason people left was because of burnout, uh, because they've they been asked to, you know, lead in worship and lead a root group, which is what we call our small groups. You know, do all these other things, come to the men's Monday morning Bible study at Dunkin' Donuts and, and all this stuff. Was it a reformed kind of church? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it it had, I can't remember the name of the organization. There was ostensibly an organization that supported it. it. Um, But it was mostly, um, it was mostly just independently run by someone who had uh, gone to Moody, uh, which Moody is the big, you know, the big school and big fundamentalist school in Chicago. Um, And so they, they let it and we had a sort of bad parting in ways, but that's I can talk about that on your show yes <laughs> yeah. perfect so we'll 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 save that for later but the reason why I, I I bring all that up is just because this I think this is a common experience and one that a lot of people can relate to so Adrian um what what were the the sorts of things for you that became entry
1: points for your deconstruction and, and that part of uh, moving on from that part of your life yeah, totally so I mean and what's funny is like deconstruction, has kind of become like a, like a buzzword, uh, sure. kind of like yeah, a term. but it is certainly the language we have to, it describes very well what happened to so many folks. Right. And, and your, your podcast, you hear these stories all the time. And so I'm sure I'm not saying anything that you haven't heard or experienced, but I think for me, it was this combination of going, well, I've seen a lot of different systems of belief where everyone talks about these open-hand issues and these closed-hand issues, but I've been to a bunch of different churches and no one can agree on what the fucking closed-hand issues or what the fucking open-hand issues are. Um, and so I think what started to happen for me was this questioning of, it wasn't ever a question of, is hell real? It wasn't a question of, is heaven real? To me, these are still real places with a zip code. For me, the biggest questions were, what is the real thing that causes someone to go to heaven or someone to go to hell, right? Like what is the true price of admission, you know? Mm. And I think um, when you go to a bunch of different denominations, you experience goodness and you experience kindness and you experience what you consider to be Christ-likeness. And then you go to a different church and they tell you that the place you just left was actually, they're all going to hell. (laughs) And so- (laughs) It, right, and so even to a point where there's a story I use all the time. My um, my grandpa, who I said was a pastor, he was a kind of like a oneness charismatic, you know. So he didn't necessarily adhere to kind of the Trinity and the sort of strict understanding of it. And I remember deep in my Reformed days, my cage stage. Do are you familiar with the cage stage? You've heard this before. If you could explain it again, I, it's, it's been a minute. So so the running <laughs> joke is that if you're a Calvinist, mm-hmm. you become a Calvinist. You need to stay in a cage for the first five years. you uh, the first five years of converting because you're really <laughs> insufferable to anyone <laughs> around you. Because all you do is just try and school everyone with yep. how your theology is the best. Yep. Right. So that's the cage. So when I was deep in my cage stage at a church, you know, full of cage stagers, a bunch of you know flannel bearded hipster reform guys, uh, my grandpa passed away, and I remember sitting down with a friend who I really respected at the time, and. I said, "Hey, man! Like my grandpa died, and he was a pastor for so many years, but he didn't believe in the Trinity." And I genuinely asked, "I was like, do you think that's enough to send someone to hell?" You know? And he goes, "Man, I'm sorry, but you know, like the Bible is clear, the text is plain. Like God revealed Himself as the Trinity, and if you're not subscribing to God the way God reveals Himself, then you're essentially not believing in God." And so, by that sort of systematic logic, he's like, "I'm sorry, I, I think your grandpa's in hell," and. Wow, well, cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, dude. That's exactly thanks, what I meant. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh what do I do with this? What the fuck do I do with this? <laughs> and so it certainly wasn't like the the straw that broke the camel's back, in as much as it was the first little crack in something that I had built for decades. And when you compare this sort of theology that you structure your life around that no one can agree on what the true theology is. And then you couple that with your own lived experience of going, I know for a fact that these people are good people. And it causes you to go, well, maybe there's something, up, maybe it's the water we're swimming in, right? Like maybe there's something else that this whole thing is built upon. And so I think the deconstruction for me, and and I'll let Josh talk about how I approached it to him, was very much like, what if God is bigger than what we thought? What if it's not like, if you're not Calvinist, you're going to hell? No, clearly that's not true. So, okay, well, if you're not, uh, if, if you're a Catholic, are you going to hell? Well, that doesn't make sense either, right? And if you're, you know, so so it was this sort of like making the table longer in my mind, right, of going who, who is in and who is out. And I think that's when I came to you and just started like being
2: like, yeah. have you heard a Richard roar? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I, I'm i trying to set up a really big soundboard right now. This is not the time to talk about this. It's like,
1: leave me alone with Rob Bell. Yeah, get Rob Bell out of my face.
2: So, <laughs> yeah, it was very much like, and I think it's what, like what you do, Blake, with the ex-evangelical and what we've been told we have done for others, which is great because we're just, we're just doing a podcast. It's just Adrian, when he, he, you approached me with those things, started to give me permission to ask questions. Right. Adrian and I, bef- at, at that time, had been friends for a really long time. So, like, we were always texting each other. Like, we had kids around the same time. Our, our wives are friends. And so did a lot of life together and so Adrian's talking to me and so everything he says I respect and I want to hear him out even if I don't agree with him so he's talking about Richard Rohr, Rob Bell I'm like Rob Bell I know because of his NUMA videos when the church did accept him before John Piper came out the before he was canceled yeah farewell Rob John Bell John Piper <laughs> the president of the church <laughs> yeah John Piper he dresses like a like a like a president or a principal dude <laughs> so good old JP so yeah when he said Rob Bell I'm like okay that's a name I can I remember I know the controversy he's, he's caused him and Don Donald Miller, like, uh, a lot of a blue light jazz book, all that stuff. So like these words were there. And I, when, when I, you approached me, Adrian, like I started to then lean on my experiences rather than my head knowledge uh, because that open, that open hand close hand issue thing was so often used in our staff meetings that when I wanted to talk about the open handed issues, they wouldn't talk about them. So I, I guess, I guess everything is close handed. Mm. Um, and and or you just don't care what I have to say because I just do work for you, which is probable as well.
0: What were some examples of some of the open and closed hand things in your church?
2: Uh close handed in, in inerrancy of scripture. Yep. Virgin birth. Virgin birth.
1: Perfect life. Yeah. Like sinless life. Resurrection. Women could not know. be pastor. Like the sort of the role complementarianism. Yep. Totally. Um like the limited the limited atonement, I wouldn't say that was a closed handed issue, but it was it was like it
2: was for real like right that was a thing limited totally. i don't know i don't think our pastor was smart enough but
1: certainly like a know. like a, a literalist interpretation yeah. of scripture informed everything and then
2: open-handed gotcha that's a good question because i thought, i felt like <laughs> a lot of things should be open-handed like should we let a couple who's living together and not married serve that was no discussion the pastor just told us no i'm like but why Right, uh, the thing we had a discussion about uh, if a homosexual couple came to the church, would they be welcome? Like, okay, let's talk about this. No, they're not welcome. Like, what? What is open handed? If we right. can't, if we can't just talk about stuff.
1: And there's a lot of weird vagary where it's like, yeah. oh, like.
2: They're welcome. I mean, yes. what is that's welcome, the really? The You're like,
0: they're welcome
1: to meet us for coffee. Exactly. We'll they about have a coffee,
2: they can sit down and listen to me talk.
1: <laughs> they're, welcome nah. to, they're welcome to tie. They're welcome to serve. Yes. But they can only serve, like, yes. by stack and share. It was just such yeah, a they weird... Can't,
2: they can't be around the children because somehow, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Oh, th- yeah. That was along the lines of the open hand and close-handed stuff, yeah.
0: And so that's when you, you and Adrian started... Talking through things like like Rob Bell's books and Richard Rohr and and those sorts of people that that do that that very thing that you mentioned permission giving permission is a major part of, um, of people that come from the types of environments we're from just because you don't you're not given it naturally um, you're you're given a track right so yeah. what sort of led both of you to end your time there at the church plant and and then eventually begin podcasting and and talking about these things publicly because that does involve risk and i'm sure that you've had your own experiences of people from your past probably
1: reaching don't, out to you or, know, you don't even know <laughs> you don't even know <laughs> no so yeah that's a great that's a great fucking question so yeah i i think the biggest thing was there was this weird feeling and i, and I find as we tell these stories a lot of people resonate with this because they experience something similar. Is when you're going through a faith change that has defined your life for decades. You feel completely isolated. You feel like you cannot trust yourself. You feel like there's something inherently wrong with you. You're sitting there trying to sing a song that you don't know if you agree with or believe. And you're trying to give your time and effort and your money to something that you just don't know if I believe about this one thing. And you just feel like everything is kind of cascading down. And as I started to express my own thoughts and beliefs, I actually got pulled aside by one of our leaders and was like, hey man, so it sounds like you're kind of dabbling in universalism or something. <laughs> I think it was like a drug that I, I freaking picked up on the side
2: <laughs> He was mall. mainlining universalism <laughs> right. off stage. It into right to my fingertips after his, leading worship. Right to his fingers.
1: <laughs> and, and so this person was like, this so person strange. was like, you know, if you're a lay attender, we welcome and and totally are affirming of these sort of questions. But if you are a staffer at a church, you should really kind of have these. You should really be solid in your faith, which is code for like tighten up or get out. Basically, yeah. if you want if you want to be here, you know, you got to tighten up. And so I took for me it was actually a beautiful freedom because when you plant a church, the idea of youth leaving it, saying goodbye to them on your end is almost like. Breaking up with mm-hmm. a girlfriend or breaking up with you know a good friend, and so them saying like pick one, it was actually permission for me. I'm just talking about permission, so I was like, great, okay, I guess this is it. And so it was me leaving, and then shortly after um, you leaving mm-hmm. that I guess caused us to really go. Well, now that neither one of us have a ch- a church re- like you know like our name on a church website and our faces. What now, you know? And, and we certainly felt like there was no one to talk
2: to. Yeah, there was and, and a, a big piece of my own deconstruction where is there, there, was a, there is a local pastor here, Danny Danny Prada, him and his wife, Emily Prada. Um, our pastors talked so much shit about them in our meetings. I had known him before um, when he was younger, but now he had his own church and he's bringing in all these like imams or Episcopalian preachers, women preachers, like he's bringing a bunch of different people. He's bringing in rabbis he's like being a part of like these uh these muslim prayer times after the thing happened in new zealand like he's going out of his way to just embrace everyone he can and our pastors are talking about how his wife shouldn't be posting this stuff on her instagram but they didn't know that she's also a bodybuilder and also if you know danny prada and emily prada if i had their muscular bodies dude i would have no clothes on right now <laughs> like <laughs> i would be completely would never wear clothes um, <laughs> so the pastors are saying all this stuff about him and his wife i'm like I have to figure out what Danny's up to now, because if they're causing this much stir, maybe it's in line with what I'm thinking through. And Danny was literally the only person that we could talk to that understood what we were going through and kind of like handed us off to Rob Bell and Richard Rohr um, and, uh, and just really uh, like, once again, allowed me to dive into that. Cause I'd known him for a little bit. We were okay acquaintances, but now we've become fast friends. And um, that was a huge part of me going, okay, I can dive as deep as I want into this, but you still feel so extremely alone. So Adrian and I met up and uh, we were, we were hanging out at the cigar bar, just sitting there shooting the shit. And because like, we're good
1: reformed boys yeah, and reformed yeah. boys we smoke cigars. cigars. Like,
2: uh, <laughs> good for you. So, um, I'm like, dude, you know what I was thinking? I have all this audio equipment after I left the church we should do a podcast because I, I, I used to do one for the church and it was fun. Well, let's just do that. And Adrian's like, well, I was thinking about the same thing today. And so I go, dude, if we're going to do this, like, are you okay with never leading worship at any church ever again?
1: <laughs> because, Blacklisted.
2: Yeah. Cause what, what we essentially did is took all the either text conversations we were having with other pastors or all the jokes that were being told in all the green rooms. And now we just say it out loud and then talk about deconstruction as well. So some people, like you said, like catching flack from people. Some people text us or even our own families text us. Like, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm like, but all your pastors are doing some form of this before they get on stage. They just can't <laughs> say it because like your money is tied up in like your view of them. So that's kind of how the podcast started. Adrian got the really catchy name of Dirty Rotten Church Kids. Yeah, it's a great name. <laughs> and we just took off from there, man. It's It's been, the Instagram handle came along because Like that, that just came from church planning too. Like you have to have a social media presence.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually talk to me about that because I, I mean, I suck at Instagram. I'm terrible at it. It's just not, not my platform. It's incredibly commendable to, you know, see, see you get such a following on there. So talk to me about what it's like to, to reach an audience on a platform like, like Instagram, just because, I mean, just a little inside baseball or whatever, you know, I've, I spent time on Twitter and Facebook making like building a Facebook group and stuff like that. But to me, Instagram is, I don't know, for whatever reason, like maybe it's just because I don't like taking pictures or post. I i have no idea. <laughs> uh, it's just not not something I i get. Um, but it's a huge, there's a huge uh, potential audience there. And it seems like you've found and created a community around your account, sharing memes and other things and posting about the show how has that been like building a community there and, and establishing like a, an audience on, on that platform. And again, this is a little bit inside baseball, yeah. but I do think it's interesting just because different communities have cropped up, been built up around things like deconstruction, like, like the expangelical one that I administer on Facebook, uh, along with like a dozen other moderators. It's not just me. Um, so what's it like to do
1: that? What's it like to, to have that sort of community and, and speak to them? man, it was super weird. I think it really started as us just like, we need to have a podcast Instagram handle. Um, but very quickly I was like, honestly, I, I personally don't follow Instagram handles that just post about the podcast. It it has to be something more engaging. And so what really just started as just us finding other things on like Reddit and just sharing what we found on Reddit and then getting some likes that way to me being like, Oh, I can, we can do this ourselves. <laughs> like I know how to I know <laughs> how to fricking use apps. Like I can make a fucking meme or whatever. And what it turned into was, I, I like to think of it as it's become kind of this equal parts heavy and light account, right? So on one hand, it'll be us like like making foreskin jokes and like shitting on evangelical, <laughs> you know, like some stupid shit. And then on the other, yeah. and then on the other hand, we'll like post some like really heavy fucking stuff and. And I think it very much mirrored what we wanted to bring to the, to our show. Um, yeah. Someone, our friend, Cindy Wong Brandt, um, who we just had That's on good. the show, who's one of our favorite humans. She yeah. Said, she's great. Yeah. She's amazing. And she said, you guys actually remind me a lot of your Instagram handle. And to me, that was code for like, okay, at least we're doing at
2: the right we're consistently.
1: At least right. we're consistently idiots. <laughs> uh, and, so, and so we knew from the get, it's like, we, we, wanted our podcast to be very much a reflection of us, right? So we are um, like goofballs and we're, we're idiots and we never went to seminary. And we're just kind of anecdotal and we like to shoot the shit. And at the same time, we do also like to talk about these heavy things because we have had some really heavy experiences, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was what we thought would be a kind of an interesting flavor when it comes to this sort of deconstruction conversation. Often it's kind of one or the other. And then the Instagram handle became that as well. And what we found was that folks felt like they could show up and it kind of became a potluck of like, I can bring all of myself to the table. If I want, if I'm feeling like silly, silly fun time, then I can be silly, silly fun time. Or if I'm feeling kind of heavy and, you know, and I think for us, the show mirrors that in that we very much believe like, if you need to like grieve some past hurt then grieve it if you need to rage and freaking break something break it if you need to laugh at something so it doesn't torment you anymore then laugh at something and i think that sort of formula somehow has um resonated with enough folks that people just started kind of finding none
2: of this was on purpose like when we posted our first episode and opened the instagram account like we didn't tell any of our friends friends oh my god we didn't tell 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 any any of our our friends none of our friends (laughs) no we didn't tell any of our friends because we didn't want like sympathy listens or whatever and we had no expectation that anyone would ever listen or crap but we just wanted to create a space where if someone was going through what we went through they wouldn't feel alone in that
1: Mm -hmm. we felt so alone yeah
2: that was the worst feeling no one wanted to talk about what we wanted to talk about no one like everyone thought we were going to hell and we don't even think hell exists. So how do you even like manage that conversation? Right. So we're like, we're just going to do this because we want someone to have some other people to listen to or talk to or agree with. And then it just took off. I'm pretty sure. And Adrian said this before, like we didn't start the podcast knowing that four months later, the world would get shut down. Um, so like 2020 happened and we're on this quarantine. And I think that, you know, you see the rise in like uh Joe Lumen's uh uh followers and her, her Instagram and her Twitter. One of our favorite guests, Kevin Garcia, as well. Their, yeah, Kevin's their, great, their online presence has exploded. And I think it's because we are now and very soon we'll be on another lockdown and we're forced to sit with ourselves. Mm. And on Sunday morning, you don't you you actually can't go to church you have to watch it from your iPad and like, well, all the magic is kind of gone and you're just ruminating over these things. And then you just happen to see a meme that we post or or an episode that we suggest or or something. Um, Yeah. But to me it's crazy that people in New Zealand or South Africa or South America or in, in, in Sweden, like will DM us or email us and go, yeah, what you said is exactly what I went through. like, how? what <laughs> how i'm in south florida like, yeah. i'll never see you in person how mm-hmm. is and so it just it affirmed like yes that what we experienced unfortunately was hurtful with some people have experienced even worse and it's all within the system of the church um, so yeah we had no plan on any of this doing anything yeah we, we we said like we talk about so much bullshit and we just laugh about stuff when there's always like this underlining like theme of spirituality and that's just kind of what everything became.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's always good like to acknowledge all of those complicated feelings for anyone, whether they use the term ex evangelical or post-evangelical or whatever. Or anything, yeah. However they they label themselves to acknowledge that the complexity of all of those things. Like the 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 grief is simultaneous with The fact that we can laugh about fucking Carmen, you know, (laughs) like Blake,
1: you (laughs) know, ladies and gentlemen, Blake just put on his jacket again. Back (laughs) back on, (laughs) beautiful.
2: Thank you. Blake is standing up and doing the twirl. Hey, love it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you're right. There is, there is like, and, and oh my god, I can't even count the amount of times we've gotten this message, either from someone who doesn't know us or people who are close to us. Well, if you got to just read the Bible. Right. I really think you'd come back to like that. We did,
1: Right, that's like, the problem. My
2: Bible is littered with notes mm-hmm. and like songs that I pathetically tried to write to like talk about my shame of myself. It's not the fact like it's, it, they, they think it's so easy. Like just read the Bible. I'm like, no, this is a complex mm-hmm. thing that if you really want to get into it, you better buy me a couple of beers. Cause we're going to be here for a very long while. Right. Yeah, it, yeah. It's funny because on the outside, you can see how nuanced it is and how complex it is. When you're in the bubbles, like, no, you just need the answer. Here's the answer. It's the Bible or it's whatever.
0: Oh, for sure. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. You know, people just being having their resources limited and all sorts of things, just as far as the knowledge that they have about, mm-hmm. about this stuff. And as, as your world gets bigger, there's this really great um, quote that has resonated for me for years, which is from the poet Rilke. And he's, uh, it's, I live my life in widening circles to me that like even before the term deconstruction became popular before i launched this podcast before any of these conversations before i was aware of them like that to me sort of encapsulated the way once you move away from any sort of fundamentalism that's sort of what it starts to feel like it's like you're wow uh, yeah and he's he's an awesome you know rookies like a world famous poet, so that's why it's, that's why that's so beautiful because <laughs> <laughs> sounds like written by a world actually, famous poet. <laughs> it's actually, I mean, it's actually a poem about God too. So I mean, it, it's interesting
2: it's, you say that because is Rilke a Christian? Is he evangelical?
0: No, I mean, he was. Uh, I think, I think he was a uh, nineteenth century German. Well, um, yeah. It's, so you mean reasons, that you, you did not go to a mega church? He's going to hell. He's going to hell. Then good probably.
2: poetry ain't going to save your soul. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, I probably have I probably have his bio, his biography wrong. So please, um, you're gonna get it, don't yeah. hate me. I'm gonna get emails. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. But to your point, like once we left the church, like relki and for me, I don't know why I keep coming back to this, but like the, the desert fathers and mothers, nomadic people of North Africa, really stuck with me. For me, it was roomy. Yeah. Like you start finding all these, like the sprinkling of God everywhere, but just, just through the language of the person writing it and how they interpret it. You're like, that sounds very much like Jesus's life on earth. when he was just loving everyone and including everyone, but it's like you said, a 19th century German poet or right. And and it's at a certain point I had to deal with like this anger that I, like I felt the church hid things from me. Hmm. And now here I'm at 32, 33, finally understanding what these people a long time ago said which would have been way more helpful to like my teenage self if i read this poem about just anger and not understanding how to deal like i don't know there's so much out there that like exactly like you said the resources are so limited you had the blinders on that to some yeah. point when you deconstruct it's very overwhelming oh, like, my, God. oh my oh, God. oh for there's sure there's everything everywhere it's it's really heavy and then you go from feeling
1: completely alone to like, all it takes is you just like open a door mm. and you're like, holy shit, Exvangelical's been here for for years talking about this stuff. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, like Rob Bell has been in this place for a real, like their entire right. histories of folks. And so I, I think what we have found is that if our little Instagram handle and our little podcast, which is a year old, uh, in like a couple weeks, play yeah. fun fact. Um, Happy birthday in advance. <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> a little popper. Oh. Puff! <laughs> <laughs> I think what we found is, like, if all we are is just, like, a broad enough kind of door that people can, like, just get to. And then from there, like, wherever you feel, you know, just to go, look look at how much room there is here at this table. And wherever you land is completely where you land. Or you don't have to, like, be next to the table. You can leave. Totally. That's right. Fine. And I think it's for us, it's kind of like – um I don't know. Just, just showing people that there is more. And I think normalizing the conversation mm-hmm. to almost being like, listen, like there is not, like there is no sacred cow. Like We can, you can laugh at anything, you know, you can bring all of yourself to it, you know, because that's, you know, and, and then as you bring yourself to the table, you know, who, who knows how you're, where you're going to land and how you're going to grow. Like, and that's something that Josh talks about all the time. And Richard Rohr talks about it too, is like, you like how, like, Josh talks about it and also yeah, said, Richard, Rohr. The same, yeah. Yeah, Richard Rohr? Richard <laughs> Rohr fucking follows your fucking lead. Well, uh, <laughs>
2: me and R.R., I mean, we uh, have some late-night meetings,
1: <laughs> What I was going to say is that, you know, you're taught that, you know, you eat a certain thing and then you grow up and you no longer eat the baby food. And then you, you, you like, crawl and then eventually you walk and you go to high school and you go to higher education. And all these things, where you're expected to progress forward. But for whatever reason, when it comes to your belief, it's supposed to remain completely stationary. For your entire lifespan. And I think this is just going, hey, it's okay for you to continue going forward.
0: Right. Absolutely. I think it's just a the sort of the, the nature of things for store these stories to repeat and to be told again and again. Just like you both said, you know, for you it was Rumi. For you, it was the desert fathers and mothers, like these stories of people confining themselves with their beliefs. And then finding a more liberating belief uh that's also a story that's a a tale as old as time there are people that left evangelicalism way before any of these podcasts started any it's been going on for decades i think it's it's so cool to to see the ways in which people discover these ideas and discover new ways of of being and to build off of your point adrienne one of one of my favorite quotes from the last couple of years was from the book Living Buddha, Living Christ by Thich Han, um, and he compares Buddhism and, and Christianity, and the thing that he said that blew my mind was, your beliefs will change over time, but it's your practices that sustain you. At the time I had left evangelicalism, I was going to an Episcopal church where ritual was important, you know. All of a sudden it was like, okay, so I can, I can partake in this communion, even if I don't believe it, Mm. you know, even if I don't believe it today, even if I don't believe it tomorrow, it's the act of this ritual that is like, of course, my beliefs are going to change, but repeating this ritual is what reminds me of self-sacrifice and that sort of thing. Not checking every box and tulip or, or whatever. Yeah.
2: I think what's beautiful about this space is that you can do that. You can... Union or the Eucharist, or whatever you want to call it, or in someone can say I can't, and I don't want to because it, it it's attributed it, like all these things are attributed to it, and both things are completely valid and completely fine because, and I don't want to say this about all the churches, but I'll just say about the experience I felt when I was in there. Like the Josh that I now know was not encouraged. It was the Josh that the church wanted me to be, and the one that would look best either on stage or on the website or making a song for them. So. I think with deconstruction, what I've found is just this okayness to be me and like saying that Blake can enjoy communion in the practice of it and X, Y, Z person doesn't want to, both of those are fine. Cause both of those experiences are valid because both of those people are valid. Mm, right. And I, I think Absolutely. that's, that's kind of the biggest thing I found underneath all of this evolution and deconstruction or just, I wasn't getting once again, permission. I didn't have the permission to be myself. Um, and <laughs> Swinging so hard on this podcast and just putting out like content on a regular basis and doing the Instagram, like really put myself out there. But I'm like, I like this self. Like it's not perfect. There's things I want to work on, but I'm okay with it. When the church told me I'm dirty, and all these weird hormonal things I'm going through as a teenager, those are a devil. Like then, but why is my dick hard all the time? Is the devil (laughs) making me hard? The devil's making you hard. Is that the thing? Am I attracted to the (laughs) devil?
1: (laughs) Am I attracted to the devil? They. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, our friend so, Lauren yeah. Scott, um, who we had on our show, oh, she's, she's a great. sex educator. And she's she said great. that the – because she was talking about being forced to fit a mold, like a mm-hmm. cookie cutter mold. And she's like, by definition, a cookie cutter mold is designed to cut off parts of yourselves that don't fit. And I think there is this sort of thing where it's like you have to fit into a mold. But in your as you're doing it, you're completely severing yourself mm-hmm. from yourself. And you're not bringing all of yourself to the table. So I love what you guys are talking about. This sort of like there is nothing off – limits because you're going to grow and you're going to change. And, and that is all part of, of you. So, right. I've gone
0: over the allotted time, but if you guys are, are good to hang for a little bit, I do want to ask you a bit about how all of this process for you has impacted your relationships as well as how it's in, impacted you as, as parents, as fathers. I have an eight-year-old daughter and I'm just always curious how other, parents who are going through these things really try to frame things for their for their kids and for themselves. and how whether it's actually talking about religious things or just modeling your own behavior, how has having gone through all of this for yourselves made you rethink the way you want to uh, model behavior and expose your kid or or not expose your kids to to the sorts of things that you've gone through? You mentioned Cindy Wong-Brant. One of the things she focuses on is like not passing on your spiritual trauma Mm -hmm. to your kids. And I think that's super, super important to not do. But I I think it's also totally valid to acknowledge the ways in which we can feel uncertain about what we actually want to teach them. So (laughs) curious what your thoughts are on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll start, I guess, is when I was deconstructing, I was talking to my wife about it and she came from the, a Catholic background and she's like, yeah, I didn't agree with that or this or that, um, even when I was going to church with you. I always thought it was weird, you evangelicals did that stuff. Um, but also there were some things that we had to talk through as, as like, a, a, like a couple and kind of work on. And one of those things was like, what are we gonna do with our kids? So back to Danny Prada, uh, his church Heartway, whenever, before the world ended, um, we were going to Heartway, and we went when we wanted to, and we didn't go when we didn't want to. Um, but that was really helpful for my kids. They're very progressive, like very, very progressive with their teachings and stuff. And so to me, that was cool. But um, mm-hmm. like my parents are, are are evangelical. And like, I was always thinking, how am I going to address this story my parents tell the kids when they're like watching my kids or when they hear this from daycare? Um, And so it's been like my kids, my daughter is um, uh, four, my son is six going on seven. Um, And so with my wife and I, we're just trying to be open. I mean, and Cindy talked about it so well, but like treat children like people, not like children. And so what we tried try to do is just be open and honest. If they ask a question, like we got into a whole conversation, my son and I did in the car ride, looking at Halloween decorations on our neighborhood. Um, he asked me what love is. And then he started to ask me, well, can't me and my daughter, Emma get married since I'm a guy and she's a girl. I'm like, well, no, we can't get married because she's my daughter. Um, you don't marry your own kids, Noah. And, uh, but if, if, and, and but doesn't mean that just a man and just a woman can get married. Like if you love someone and you want to spend the rest of your life with them, then then that's what you do. That's what love is. You should get married and do that thing if you want to. And then he can put that one in one in your one in your out the other. He didn't get right. You know, he wanted to look at the cool Jack Skellington <laughs> in, inflatable decoration. But <laughs> yeah. it's just because before I think those conversations would come up and I'd go to so many apologetics classes and have so many books forced down my throat and how a Christian parent and all these things. And so I felt like I was nervously always on the ready with like all my tools ready. Like when my son is going to ask me uh, about this question about kissing, I, Oh, here's the answer. Or, or it's not dating. It's courting. Like you have all <laughs> these tools in your tool belt that, that now yeah. I'm like, well, things are so much more permissible. I don't have to have an answer. And I, I want my kids when they're older to feel comfortable enough to come to me and ask me questions. Cause I didn't have that unfortunately with my parents to an extent. Cause I'm like, I don't want to go to them. Cause I have all the answers. I just feel like a, a idiot asking a question. So if my kids it's just being open and honest, but also the, the stuff people buy my kids like books, if they buy them if they're like super conservative lean and like, I'll read the story to you, but I'm also going to tell you, this is what the person who wrote the book believes. It's not necessarily what I believe or what your mom believes kind of have to do some like unexplaining, but I like Cindy really clarified that whole thing. Just treat them like they're people instead of like oh, and then, like curting every conversation, but that's mine. I'm sure Adrian has something much prettier to say.
1: No, I think you, I think you, <laughs> no, you, say, you great. talk way better than I do. No, I, um, so I think for me, my, my kids, so I have a, um, a two-year-old, she just, her name's Scout. She just turned two a uh, few weeks ago. And then um, my son Wilder will be four in January. So my kids are still very, very young. Haven't slept in four years. It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so for us, we haven't gotten to those conversations about the powers that brought us into existence and and the things that the universe is made up of. So we haven't gotten there yet. So if anything, Blake, you're going to be having to school me on how you do it. But what we are trying to do is introduce a sense of wonder and a sense of gratitude to the world. You know, and we have a little butterfly garden in our yard and just watching them interact with like seeing a caterpillar from a baby all the way through to a grown ass huge caterpillar that looks kind of fucking gross yeah, and then they just roll up and become <laughs> these beautiful butterflies like to me yeah if we can just slow our lives down to pay attention to that or if we're sitting down um, at for our meal and we can slow ourselves down to think about where the food came from and all the people that were required to pour their effort and time into it for us to be able to consume the food and so I think for us, our new sort of prayer or our new sort of practice to kind of touch on what you said, our practice has been of slowing down, being present, and just enjoying what we're enjoying. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's all I can really do right now. I think that when the time comes for my kids asking about, you know, why, you know, grandma and grandpa talked about Jesus or grandma and grandpa talked about Jonah and and, and the whale or whatever, those conversations will happen then. I really have no idea what I'm going to say other than, you know, there's a lot of beautiful stories that people tell and, you know, and this is one of those beautiful stories. And these people are telling these beautiful stories because they're all beautiful people. And so I think for us, that's what it is. Um,
2: I, man, I had a, yeah. I had a conversation with my daughter about Jesus on the cross. I just remember that because they had some song about it and she's like, yeah, we talked about it in at daycare, about Jesus dying on the cross. I go, why do you think he died on the cross? And she didn't have an answer. And then I kind of went into like the historical reasoning, which I believe is because he was a man who said that everyone's allowed. The tax collectors allowed. The woman who has a bunch of lovers is allowed. And he took time with people. And then he spoke out against the powers that be the Roman Empire. She goes, what are Romans? I'm like, oh my God, I should have gone down this <laughs> like, You don't care about this. <laughs> uh, but, but imagine us, but 2000 years. Right. Exactly. Just imagine the U.S. <laughs> military for a long time. Um, so that was unexpected, but in the moment I'm like, yeah, it's just he was killed because he loved too many people, and and then always because I, I think the the danger of those like felt board Sunday school stories is that they were always stories, and there was very little application to my actual little person life. Uh, mm-hmm. So if I can always bring it back to my kids, like, yeah, Jesus dying on the cross—that's a long time ago, and it's a book that I don't really agree with. But what does that mean to you? Like, what can we do with that? Like, does God love our neighbor? who is African-American? Does God love our neighbor who is very old and like super dependent on people? Like always bringing it back to the people they interact with and talking about the different students they have in their classroom and would God love them because and just always saying yes, yes, yes. Because if if we can establish that now, especially living in South Florida, there's every type of person down here which is great cuz there's every type of food down here as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which makes the sleepless nights easy when you're dad and you can't sleep, we can always get some good Cuban get food. Get some
1: Cuban food.
2: Um but uh <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an interesting question, you know, like Adrian said we're going to pick your brain here soon because it's it's easier when the kids are younger. Mm-hmm. It's less consequences to what I tell them. Right. But I'm sure my son's I'm going to get a call from some teacher. I my something. kids.
1: My kids think that those chocolate chip cookies are too spicy for them to eat. Man, my kids are idiots. I'm just—they're not idiots. Just kidding.
2: <laughs> Treat your children as if I know. they're people. They're Adrian. people, right? You're right. <laughs> that's, that's Sixteen city. years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> been uploaded into their brainstem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's been great to learn a little bit more about both of you and and how you've been on this journey and and the sort of community that you've already be begun to develop over the last year through the podcast to emulate your own show and your own and your own uh, Instagram handle and everything. Uh, what sort of things are 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 you sort of nerding out about right now that you're sort of being able to make the enormity of this pandemic feel a little bit smaller? because <laughs> I mean, like you said, uh, we're recording this in November and more than likely, we're looking at another lockdown and cases are going up everywhere. So we all need to be able to cope with that reality. So what are you doing to help yourself during this sort of
1: uncertain time? Yeah, I'll go first. So I'm a big coffee nerd. I love kind of sourcing and finding like new roasters and things like that and, and different brew methods and things. So I have a subscription service with, uh, it's a company called Dayglow, and they basically curate roasters from all around the world. And so it's a subscription service and they send you bags and Dayglo is actually owned and operated by an old friend of mine based out of LA. And so getting the new coffee in has been really cool. There's a drink that uh, I've been making a lot. It's called an espresso tonic. Um, I'm not sure if you're a coffee guy, Blake.
0: I do like coffee. Um, I'm not, I've gone through different phases of snobbery. (laughs) He constructed Um, his coffee. Yeah, (laughs) good for you, man. Good (laughs) I've had. I used to live like uh intelligentsia used to be at the end of my block. Oh, yeah. Um lovely. and so that was my go to for a long time. Um here and that uh was originally based here in Chicago, but they got bought up by the same conglomerate that buy like blue bottle and everybody else yeah. anyways continue
1: <laughs> yeah so basically nerding out about coffee has been really cool for me uh, i also nerd out a lot about mechanical watches i'm like really into like the sort of like the weird historicity of mechanical watches and what they represented as tools all throughout so that's been my like really nerdy ass thing uh and then i've been watching uh, avatar and i've been watching cora i love cora i really appreciate that show I'm watching. I've I've started
0: watching Avatar with my with my daughter, and it's been a lot of fun. So we haven't gotten to we haven't gotten to Korra yet. We're still we're in chapter we're in season three of uh, of the Last Airbender. So we'll we'll get there. But it's it's so good. Korra's a lot of fun. You're gonna like Korra because it's it's
1: similar and different at the same time. Yeah, you're gonna. Like
0: yeah, I've watched a I've watched a couple of episodes, but then I just got distracted, and I, I need to I need to go back and finish it. So <laughs> thank you, Joshi.
2: So, um. I got into uh you know what Gundam is? Oh yeah, like Gundam Wing? Yeah, the old show yeah. and then like yeah, the new Gundam Wing on, on Hulu. Um so I always seen like these model boxes at like comic book stores or whatnot, like to build Gundams. Like I don't have time. I'm not gonna paint and glue things together. Then I stumbled upon a YouTube video where they realized it just snap. It just snap things together. I'm like, oh I gotta try one of these out. So I have like four of them on my shelf now and I have in a box that I'm building. It's like uh Legos for people who hate themselves. Um, so it's fun. Up until like I, I stopped building this current model because I don't know what's wrong. I, I did something wrong, but it's super interesting. And just like with anything else I get, I don't realize the entire community that's there. So I've gotten lost on like a, it's called gunpla PLA. Um, and it translates uh, from something in Japanese, but the, uh, competitions they have like seeing people's creativity like taking multiple models and like de- like deconstructing them Yay. to make something else it's so cool um so i've gotten into that recently um i've always been playing video games so now i'm just playing more of those one game that i've talked about at length on our, our podcast and people have messaged me about as well it's death stranding on ps4 if you haven't played it Blake and your listeners. And if you're interested in watching playthroughs, just go on YouTube and watch it. It's a beautiful story. And at the end, I was like, actually not like, not like, <laughs> not, not like soft crying, like actual, like actual crying, <laughs> crying, crying like a man. A problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's been really fun to find other people through uh, dirty, rotten church kids who also play video games, like playing with them online and talking to them about stuff has been cool. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. I mean, just trying to like, there's there's a Netflix show I'm watching, Auntie Donna's Big Old House. It's an improv sketch uh, group from Australia. And oh, okay. It came out this past Wednesday. Right. Is it, it
1: good? Nice. <laughs> okay, I need to check it I'm out. Gonna,
2: I can't show you an episode because the kids are here. Because it says "fuck" a lot. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, that's really funny. Like, I, I think I'm really going back to my absurdist comedy roots now. Like uh, you have Tim and Eric, and you have C Lab Twenty Twenty One. Like the whole breadth of Adult Swim back in the early two thousands, because that is so far removed from reality. It took my mind off the election for a bit, and twenty twenty is still here, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I I continuously have nights where I just forget about twenty twenty and laugh at weird videos. So,
0: yeah. That's that's it. That's what we all need to do uh, to just even temporarily sort of uh, disassociate and 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 cope. <laughs> Name of the game: disassociate. That's
2: right. 20- <laughs> so, um, and to you, evangelical listeners, this is uh, this is a scoop for you guys. This is the first time we're bringing this up. Um, me, Adrian, and Blake are doing our own podcast called Disassociate and Cope.
1: and Cope.
2: So um, That's right. that happening, never.
1: Yeah, behind the paywall, though. <laughs> we so had a
2: very, a very <laughs>
1: large paywall.
2: Cash out. Yeah. yeah. multiple <laughs> mental breakdowns on a podcast. <laughs>
1: oh, just crying, just weeping over every <laughs> <affair>. That's right. <laughs>
0: just, just, yeah. just collapsing it's in a drunken... All in and air. all finds Everything's <laughs> on fire. It's
1: fine. oh my god
0: (laughs) well josh adrian it's been great having you on and um where can people find your podcast any other merch or anything else you'd like to to plug here uh for the listeners to check out i'll also add this to the show notes
2: yeah um on instagram we're dirty rotten church kids on twitter it's dirty rotten ck and if you want to send us an email it's dirty rotten ck at gmail.com like adrian and i said uh, we're both fathers we don't sleep much and we like talking to people so us whenever great <laughs> um also we have a teespring account so if you go to teespring.com and just search dirty rotten church kids we have one of our good friends kurt in south africa made some killer designs for us and so we have awesome there that people can rep too so
0: awesome thank you so much for joining me thanks,
2: today blake. thanks blake
0: And That'll do it for today's show. This episode was produced by Jake Lewis. Thank you very much, Jake. If you enjoy this show, please again, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, or let someone else know about the show. You can find me on Twitter at brchastain. You can find me on Instagram at brchastain underscore. You can follow the show on Instagram at exvangelicalpod. And you can learn about other ways to support the show at www.exvangelicalpodcast.com support. All right, everyone. Talk to you soon.